Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good morning to you and a warm welcome to this week's installments of Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. Thank you for tuning us hot on the heels of the fourth South African Investment Conference which took place last week. I'm sure you would agree with me when, when I say the fourth South African Investment Conference could not have taken place at a better time, just after the country's casting off the shadow of pandemic and embarking on a concerted effort uh, to a determined recovery. The latest unemployment said sitting at 35.3%, with youth accounting for more than 75%, suggests a call for a drastic measures, not only by government, but also the private sector, in addressing the deliberating economic situation. On this show, we seek to contribute constructively in the current social and economic affairs, which is the country's trajectory. Let's continue to have a dialogues on, on the importance of productivity issues, mindsets, intellectual properties, benchmarking, and of course, corporate governance as it cuts across. These conversations, in my view, can only sharpen our posture as a community that seeks to be counted among the best in the world. Let's welcome our guest, Ellen McCorkey, who's no longer a stranger to the show. Ellen is an executive at the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And in my view, Ellen is one of the most remarkable individuals with substantial insights and experience in development. So Ellen and I will be sharing uh, the outcome of the South African Investment Conference. And I guess the million goal question is, is the investment conference a panacea to economic woes of the country? Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome Ellen. Ellen, as always, you're welcome to the show. Thank you very much for gracing Beyond Governance. Good morning, uh, Nimrod, and good morning to your listeners and whoever they are. Thank you. You're welcome indeed. I also implore you to share your views based on the conversation I'll be sharing with um, Ellen. Our SMS line is 34519. Your views and ideas are most welcome through the Twitter handle, which is at Nimrod. Uh, well, then, as we kickstart the show, I just wanted to hear your views. But just before we kickstart the show, I think it's important to take a quick break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. You've just joined us um, having interesting conversations with Ellen McGorky, who's an executive at the South African Chamber of Business and Commerce, Saki. And before we went to the quick break, I just painted a picture as to the nature of our conversation uh, that will ensue with Ellen McGorky. Um, and then the president launched the fourth uh, investment conference uh, a week ago. In your view, what has been the aims and objectives of the conference? I think that, uh, look, uh, whenever you are trying to drive reconstruction and recovery, as the president has so eloquently articulated uh, in the past, together with business, of course, uh, th- this was not just uh, his own making on his own. I think that he's been very transparent and very visible uh, uh, in terms of uh, wanting the private sector to be part of the engagement with uh, big government as well as big labor as well in terms of moving the country uh, forward. And I would think that this is part and one of the interventions that uh, the president has been looking at in terms of building a coercive partnership with business uh, and investors to try and see the things that can in fact be done to resolve the problems that South Africa uh, is facing, because we all know, and I think that many people have accepted at least the thesis that says that 
it's only when you have a vibrant business community and you have a very vibrant environment for investment that you can be able to tackle many of the economic challenges that South Africa faces. And in particular, the idea of job creation, uh, the idea of resolving the issues of poverty and the idea of uh, resolving the issues of inequality. So to that particular extent, and I think that we as business have supported that uh, initiative from the point of view of saying, if these are the reasons why you're actually trying to do it, galvanize, promote uh, the country, not only domestically, but internationally, bring investors into a summit, into some kind of a meeting. Let's speak and uh, huddle up and talk about the things that we believe are important uh, in facing uh, the country. Yes, there will be mistakes and weaknesses in the process, but I think that the idea itself, in terms of what you are actually attempting to do, is a very useful one. Thank you very much for that insight, um, Adam. And I could not agree with you uh, more that the idea is useful. However, let's take a step back. This being the fourth uh, investment conference and build based on the premise that South Africa is open for business. If South Africa is open for business, what are the lessons, structural lessons that we have learned that are meant to address the current economic shortcomings? The reason I'm asking this question is we've learned that the latest stats and employment statistics is shocking. Almost 40% of South Africans, when using the broader definition of unemployment, more than 70% of that are youth. So we've had the fourth um, investment conference. What can be learned? Or what, what is different about the fourth one? I think that they will all generally be, uh, be the same. And that's part of the thing is that when you start something, you've got to have the ability and the flexibility to change the wheel of the bus whilst the bus is moving. Uh, to that particular extent, of course, those who have a level of criticism, it would be justified for them to say, well, you continue to have these investment conferences, you continue to announce these big mega numbers in the billions, yet we don't see that on the ground in terms of impact. And I think that the president was at pains explaining quite a number of specific projects that had been identified of what people had said that they were going to do. When the telecoms people say, we're going to expand our business by building X amount of towers, these are things that you can indeed go and find. So one of the possibilities is that, yes, indeed, either one of three possibilities is, yes, indeed, people are communicating things that they were, people are communicating things that they were doing anyway, which effectively means it's business as usual and there's nothing new. In other words, if you were going to grow your investment, your capital uh, uh, investment in plant and equipment by, say, maybe 5-10% year on year, in line with the usual business, whether there was an investment conference or not, you are now putting that up as part of the investment conference new uh, commitment. So it's very important to separate, therefore, between that which is business as usual and that which is new. The other argument that can indeed be made by those who are critics, they would say, sure, indeed, perhaps maybe what you are trying to tell us is that whilst you're bringing in all this new investment of the hundreds of billions of rand and dollars, but what's been happening is that your, your level of attrition is a lot more higher than what you've communicated. So on the one side, you're saying, I'm bringing all this money, but had I not, because the net effect isn't any different. In other words, you're not growing your revenue line in terms of... Um, except for things that you can explain around maybe currency movement or commodities price escalations. You cannot tell us that the organic business of the business as usual, organic business itself is actually growing in that we don't see higher levels of PIT, which is personal income tax, um, you know, corporate income tax, CIT, and indirect taxes by way of VAT, customs duties, and a whole range of those 
uh, things that we load on fuel levies and etc cetera, etc cetera. we're not seeing a growth in that element then you can then make the argument of saying so therefore does this mean therefore that this new investments are more like pie in the sky. So I think that the answer needs to be researched a lot more carefully so that we don't make statements that even ourselves have not actually looked into that, but the evidence quite clearly coming from, as you heard from Stats SA yesterday, that we've now breached the 35% uh, unemployment mark. These are some of the very big engagements in respect of the things that we need to investigate and we need to look into if where we say the growth is coming from agri or the growth is coming from the mineral and resources. And sometimes then we find we have to deal with the issues that the Minister of Home Affairs was actually talking about. The president himself raised the same issue when he was criticizing the people from Operation Tutula from taking the law into their own hands, uh, creating an environment that can lend itself to accusations of xenophobia when you go against foreigners and you're going against all foreigners because quite clearly quite a number of foreigners are themselves legitimately in South Africa. Yet the people at Operation Dudula would argue that we're only going for undocumented. Now, the president's response to that was criticizing both sides by saying the people at Operation Dudula have no right to take the law into their own hands because the implications or the ramifications of their action could lead us into this uh, division, disunity around foreigners in South Africa in general. And then on the other side, of course, the president was raising an issue against us as business of, we need to stop employing undocumented uh, immigrants because we do that, of course, that's a fact. And we can't deny that and hide behind anything else. And we can't hide behind, but you know, the immigration laws are not being respected because we ourselves as business need to respect the immigration laws of the country. Now I'm raising these two issues because in particular, where your focus is to grow low uh, service uh, jobs, in the construction sector around a lot of the big mega infra projects and then you are also trying to do take advantage of the big agri projects and opportunities that may arise in that particular space and then you find that these two industries in particular quite a number of the players because of labor brokers that are being used in that environment then they are the ones who are bringing undocumented people to participate so the undocumented people would not necessarily show up in employment figures so you're going to see them because they're not paying a a direct personal income tax because they're not registered. So in a number of cases, therefore, you're not going to see that level of growth in jobs, at least that you would have, because yes, you are creating jobs, but perhaps maybe you may well be creating jobs uh, in the region for the other neighboring countries instead of creating jobs in your in your own uh, in your own environment. So there's a possibility. I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm not saying that's researched finding. I'm just saying that because we know that's what the president has raised. We know that there are lots of other social activity uh, type groups like Tutula and some political organizations like the uh, Patriotic uh, uh, Front and uh, Action SA who've all raised this issue around the issue of undocumented immigration that needs to be handled very differently. So that might just well be one of the contributing factors. I don't know how far it is, if indeed it is so. But the last piece, of course, is that all of this investment is just pie in the sky, that people are just making up statements to take the picture of the president, but they don't necessarily follow through. And there's no mechanism that is there that is monitoring whether when you committed 50 billion last year, have you actually expended that 50 billion? Can we find it? What has it actually done? So if we don't have a monitoring system around that, that creates a problem. So I would think those are the five factors that create a lot of the noise around this. Thank you very much, Ellen, for that brilliant insight. Um, on that note, let's have a quick break. We'll come back in a second.
Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Yep, we are back now. Uh, this is Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrat Mbena. I'm having a stunning conversation with the executive at the South African Chamber of Commerce, Ellen Mukoki. Before we, we took that quick break, Ellen brought to our attention a number of critical issues that we need to think about. Um, just a quick reflection on what he had pointed out, um, in, in case you have just joining us, that the, the investments conference that took place last week is obviously one of the many, and the idea is to galvanize as much resources as possible to sectors of the economy that will address the unemployment rates that we have seen. In the same vein, he had brought to our attention the fact that political movement or civil society organizations such as Operation Tudula are actually aggrieved by the escalation of unemployment and they're putting the unemployment figures at the doorstep of government and private sector for that matter by way of employing government. On the, on the government side, there seems to be a failure of creating an enabling environment that will drive economic growth forward. On the side of private sector organization, the argument or the accusation is that most of the employers are violating the immigration laws by employing foreign nationals who are in the main occupying lower end of labor force, which ordinarily ought to be occupied by South Africans. So this creates tension. One of the issues that Ellen brought, which I think is quite critical, in, in the context of those that are perceiving these kinds of conferences as a pie in the sky, is the fact that there isn't sufficient monitoring and evaluation mechanism uh, to say to the general populace, last year, this is how much we have raised. These are the mega projects that have been created. How many jobs have been created? Which sector is growing and which sector is not growing? In as much as those kinds of information could exist there is no mechanism for that kind of data to filter down to the township informal settlement to give an impression that indeed these conferences are not just a talk show because everything has just gone up. But coming back to the way forward, Ellen, as business, what is your response to your members who are violating immigration laws? and employing foreign nationals without documents, first and foremost, and secondly, without prerequisite skills. What's your way forward in that respect? We are a law-abiding uh, organization, and I think that to that extent, we would never encourage our members to violate any law, whatever law that might be, uh, whether it's a Labor Relations uh, Act, uh, peace, forget about immigration, whether it's something to do with how you've violated employees' rights in the workplace, you end up with the CCMA and things like that. You you pay below the minimum wage when you know that the law says you must pay the minimum wage. That you decide that you're not going to pay tax when you're supposed to pay tax. You don't submit the returns that you're supposed to submit. And you don't comply with many of the other regulations around compliance and things like that. So as a very responsible uh, corporate citizen, we would not encourage, uh, we discourage, not even not encourage, we discourage any of our members from those kinds of uh, illicit and irregular and illegal activities. And that goes for all the laws of the country, including immigration laws, of course. So we wouldn't want our people to do that. But I think that the government has got this particular failure on the aspect of maintaining law and order and on the aspect of making sure that you have the labor inspectors that can indeed 
and health inspectors because we've had many cases of sometimes foreign shop owned shops in the townships have been accused of selling substandard goods. Uh, sometimes these are contraband goods, sometimes these are unhealthy goods that have been expired. We, we, we obviously condemn all of that kind of illicit and illegal and irregular type behavior. But those are all aspects that belong to law enforcement, uh, to, to health regulation enforcement, to making sure that the immigration laws uh, start. Um, so in the end, it's like that, uh, you know, that sheep farmer who wakes up every morning and he finds that one of his sheep has been, is missing. He goes down to the river, he says there's a crocodile there. He takes out his rifle, he shoots the crocodile, and then he goes back. You know, a week later, another sheep is missing. He goes down there, he finds another crocodile, takes out his rifle, he kills it. Until one of the labor, of his laborers says to him, this is master. By the way, are you aware that your neighbor next door, the other farmer, is actually a crocodile farmer? And when they go next door to inspect what's going on, they find that there's a hole on the fence of the crocodile farmer, and these crocodiles keep escaping there. So the issue that then needed to be done is to fix that hole, because the crocodile farmer himself was losing out, because he's farming these things, but he's losing them. He doesn't know where they're disappearing, but he's not aware that they're escaping through a hole. On the other side next door, the sheep farmer is also losing his sheep. He's not aware that the crocodiles are coming from next door and they're escaping. So by them talking to each other, they are able to resolve the question to their mutual benefit. It cannot be, and it isn't. And I know that there, were, there are people who may think, because in many of these environments we've heard of the very same undocumented people, the very status of them being undocumented creates very significant human risk, human rights uh, risks, including exploitation, including slavery, including human trafficking, including uh, issues of uh, child labor, including issues where people are actually not being paid. Uh, and in many environments, people are being told to work and being paid by way of being just being given food. So we abhor all those particular kinds of practices. And in other environments, people just work long hours, but, you know, obviously they depend on getting the tips. To the extent where those tips obviously mean something, yes, that's fine. And, and then some businesses want to evade the compliance that says, but you need to pay people something and this and that and the other. So, but we need to deal with the issue of the hole that is in the crocodile farmer's side so that we don't have to deal with this problem here. It cannot long term, from a visionary point of view, be in the interest of business to continue to perpetuate an environment of cheap or no wage pay labor relationships. And I will tell you what is the reason for that. It's a short-termism that we need to discourage. Why? Because you may make money by saying, I've taken out a lot of my labor costs. In the end, businesses exist to solve problems in society. We offer products and we offer services. You know, people in consulting, whether they are, you know, uh, auditors or lawyers or whatever type of professionals, and other people who are actually producing something. In the end, you collapse the economy if you're not growing jobs in your own economy and you are not actually raising incomes. Because if I look at a, one of my members like Vodacom, Vodacom needs to survive by selling airtime, by selling data, by selling all the other services that they can sell. They cannot continue to be in business for a very long time if in fact their market in South Africa is declining because people are not employed or people because people are being very, very, very cheap wages that are not actually rising. So we ourselves as business need to be conscious and aware that we cannot shoot ourselves in the foot. It is not in our interest to pay below the minimum wage and to exploit cheap labor that we don't actually pay because those people that we pay are actually our customers. 
So they are part of the ecosystem. So if you remove the customer from the ecosystem, you remove their money that they should have. You as an owner, you may say, yeah, I've made a much more higher return. I've got a more higher level of profit to do what with that profit? Because you need to reinvest it so that you can make money. You cannot reinvest it to make more money when you don't have customers because your customers don't have money to buy your product or to buy your service. So Absolutely. in the end, we need to have a vision that is very clear that it is not in our self-interest as business to be supporting those kinds of ideas where we can just use uh, people that we're not going to pay because we need those people as customers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you've just joined us, I'm having a very interesting conversation with Alan Mugofi, who is the executive at the South African Chamber of Business and, and Commerce. He's really putting forward very interesting, thought-provoking issues that accompany the high unemployment rate that we are currently experiencing. We want to take a break in just a second, but Alan, just think about the uh, the point that you put across. What is key as I'm listening to you is the short-termism thinking on the side of some of the business owners who violate all the laws purely because they want to make gains and without really understanding the long-term implication of those kinds of behaviors. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back uh, to... Beyond Governance, hi, FM 101.9. My name is Nimrod Timbele. I am joined by Ellen Mugopi, who is the executive at the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. We are talking about the fourth South African Investment Conference, um, which in, in other instances appears as a panacea. Clearly, it is not based on the kinds of issues that Ellen has brought to our attention. Before we took that break, Ellen raised a very pertinent point, at least from where I'm sitting, is the short-term view or short-termism view of some of the employers who are employing uh, illegal immigrants to, you know, to, to obviously increase their profit margin without understanding the long-term implications of those kinds of behaviors. And these kinds of issues that are provoking or stimulating a fertile ground, if you like, for um, civil movements such as Operation Tutula and and, and host of other political organizations that are, you know, obviously instigating or rather angered by the, the, the porous borders, which obviously encourage some of the employers to take advantage of, of illegal immigrants. But what the, I suppose the question is, Alan, what would be the long-term plan? As much as obviously there has to be an engagement, at some point engagements needs to bear fruits. In as much as we can't have conferences in perpetuity, we cannot have um, some of these issues lingering for a long time because in the long term, we all lose. Business will lose, government will lose, and the country will become a failed state. And there are remnants uh, which suggest that if we are not able to address this quagmire, South Africa, not so far, will be labeled failed state. How do we navigate the, those those complex issues from a business side? I think that uh, that's a very, very brilliant question. And I think we need to have a new compact, a new societal compact, and not just the one that is by what can business do or what can government do? We need to have a societal compact around what we want to do for this South Africa, or the vision must be the same, and what are we attempting to do? I think that a lot of the planning has tended to 
to be much more around short-termism or firefighting and, and fixing a, a problem here and there, you know, with an ESCOM problem, let's fix it with load shedding. What are we going to do to fix load shedding? I, th I don't think that the equation is load shedding. And I'm glad that the energy department and many of the people who, who are playing are beginning to think long-term around finding a permanent solution for South Africa's energy crisis. But it has to go beyond that. Really, this problem that we just dealt with of undocumented people, it's a human rights crisis. It's caused largely by the lack of development, the lack of proper political governance in the neighboring uh, countries and not having a very clear idea of how they, are, they themselves are going to get out of the rut that they have found themselves uh, in. So when we talk energy in South Africa and solutions in South Africa, we need to be able to think much more broader than South Africa, but start to think beyond South Africa and how are we going to drive the investment and the, and the deployment of capital and projects and infrastructure and energy being one of them, and rail being the other, and telecoms infrastructure being the other, water and sanitation, etc., etc., et across the region. This region is not going to develop because remember, what we're now saying is that if you want to solve the problem of ESCOM alone, you're not solving the problem of South Africa. If you want to solve the problem of energy in the region, then we are solving the problem of South Africa. But the, the other trickle-down things that then tend to happen, including the idea of illegal immigration, starts being resolved. Because when people in the region have got their own sources of energy that South Africa would have been instrumental in driving, because most of the capital is here, most of the expertise is here, most of the, 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 the consulting skills and competences are here. More than anything else, as I said earlier on, without repeating myself, if the capital deployment is actually here. So what we now need to be able to do is to ensure that we can drive that across the region, not only because we think we're trying to be nice to our neighbors, no, but because we're opening up markets for ourselves, we're developing the region in such a way, and the rest of the continent for that matter, but of course, if you're gonna eat an elephant, as the late Bishop Dutu warned us, you have to start eating it piece by piece. It's a lot more easier, low-hanging fruit. We can't drive an energy platform in South Africa without solving the same problem in Zimbabwe, in Eswatini, in Botswana, in Lesotho, in Namibia, in, in Zimbabwe, in Zambia, in Malawi, you know, in Angola. So we have to be able to say in the DRC, we have to be able to say we're picking up all those particular areas and we have a very concerted effort and very de deliberate intentional idea around what it is that we're going to do. The political polit politicians have resolved their problems. They're actually ahead of us as business because there's peace in all these regions, as you know. We've got Nepal, we've got AU, we've got all these particular things. And at least that, in a sense, there is not a high level of political instability. You know, you'll have people complaining here and here in Eswatini and, and, you know, here and here in Lesotho and here and here in Botswana, the former president fighting with it. But, you know, you don't have bombs exploding anywhere else. So to that extent, South Africa needs to take the role of being the leader because we are the leader, even though we're a reluctant leader, but we need to be a very encouraged, uh, enthusiastic type leader so that we can then do that. Because not only are we solving the problems in the region, not because we're afraid of undocumented, but it's because there's a huge business opportunity down there, right? There's still 1.3 billion people in this continent. And to the extent that you're able to give them the power and uh, the energy, and they themselves have their own resources. Nobody's got more oil than, no more gas than Mozambique in our region. It is South African capital that must be around Moz as we speak to develop roads infrastructure, to develop the pipelines, to develop the buildings, to build the Mozambican economy. Because when you do that, you're solving the problems of South Africa because it is South African companies that end up benefiting from a lot of that. It's South African manufacturers who are able to then sell their plant and equipment to a developing and rising Mozambique or a developing and rising Zimbabwe. So I'm saying that there is no piecemeal solution 
to the problems that we face, if indeed the vision that we all share in this social compact that I'm referring to is the one that would say to solve permanently the problems of unemployment, to solve permanently the problems of poverty, to solve permanently the problems of inequality and hunger as a fourth element that we always add very deliberately was just because you're poor doesn't mean you must be hungry. Just because you're unequal does not mean you must be hungry. Just because you're unemployed does not mean you must be hungry. So we have to solve this issue of hunger deliberately and directly. Was when it comes to healthcare, it's a lot more easier because at least there is an element of universal healthcare which is guaranteed in the constitution of South Africa under the Bill of Rights, at least up to the level of finishing basic education, which is exactly the same thing. Healthcare South Africa, you get universal access. You don't have to have money, even if they say they'll charge you about 15 rand. If you run of it, they still have to see to it that you get the medical care. So at least you've resolved those two. Now you want to make sure that people are not actually going to be very hungry in that particular context. So you have to bring those four into the element. And if you want to do that permanently and you're going to do that sustainably, you need to then be able to say, I want a South Africa that is going to be a developed as opposed to it being a developing economy. And if you want to create a developed economy, the things that you need to work on are all standardized and they are all known at least around what the United Nations Sustainable Development Programme goals are actually talking about. So if we then all agree in the social compact, business, society, think tanks, NGOs, everybody else, academy, because the academy is so missing in South Africa, it's actually heartbreaking. And I'm glad you spoke about the brilliant Professor Mahwala that you interviewed the other day. So we want to make sure that we can get everybody else singing off one hymn book, at least in terms of the direction where we want, because I don't think that you're going to find anyone in South Africa that isn't aligned to the fact that this is what we are actually supposed to do. You look at the Great Lakes regions and all those particular places, there is no ground that is more fertile than that. And where do you think the top agri, agri uh, agronomists and the, and the top soil experts in this particular continent are sitting? They're sitting here in South Africa. They're in Pretoria. They're absolutely, in, in absolutely. Northwest. They're, and why are they absolutely. here? They are not supposed to be here. We're supposed to have a very clear program. We want those guys down there in Rwanda. And we're going to put up... On that note, Helen, there's just so much rich in texture and ideas that that come from you. Let's have a last quick break uh, and let's pay our bills and come back and wrap up uh, because we are gravitated towards the end of the show. Um, sure. This is Beyond Governance at High FM 101, 101.9. My name is I'm joined by Ellen Mukoku, who is an executive director, um, executive officer at the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Let me come back in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is, uh, you know, it's very interesting how time flies when you're really having interesting and thought-provoking ideas that are forward-looking. I'm joined by Ellen Mukoki, who's an executive at the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and we are talking about the fourth South African Investment Conference. And in my view, he has put forward very tangible uh, proposal on the table. One of them is the idea of a social compact, which brings all the major players around the table on what is the the vision of South Africa that they can all be part of. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this show will agree with you. But the biggest issue, and literally in a minute or two, uh, as we wrap up this this very interesting conversation, is the ability of states to deliver. We have had conference after conference, and the biggest elephant in the room is the state ability to deliver. 
And if the state would deliver, successfully deliver at 10% of these mega initiatives, I'm sure business will be more stimulated to follow through with a view to address high unemployment rate that we've seen. Literally in a minute, how do you address the ability of state to deliver? Because that's the biggest issue. You know, the last question that you're asking is supposed to be the only question, basically. You know, because if we solve this problem, we solve all other problems. It's, it's quite clear and uh, empirical evidence upon empirical evidence, study upon study, research upon research, the only time you can run any organization, whether it's a sports organization, whether it's anything, whether it's a cultural organization, whether it's religious or political or government, whatever, is through people. And for you to succeed is to understand what it means to say, I have the right person. Right person, what are the qualifications of the right person? It's someone who has an can-do approach, someone who is skilled or competent in something or has the potential to be skilled or competent in something, has got a level of experience and a a, a proven performance track record. So you you, you can't get away from that. And the second piece, of course, is the culture and the values, alignment. In other words, businesses that are successful, organizations that are successful, they can only be successful because of culture. Culture will eat your organization alive if it is not being managed. You can't put culture, and culture means the way we do things around here. If our culture is to hire technically competent people, people who've got an organized mind, people who've got a can-do approach. That's culture. We codify that. We put it in the in the in the documentation of the organization that this is how we do. In other words, anywhere else in the organization, when we hire, we go for the best. We say the person that we hire must be. Uh, I was talking to one of the football people, and I was saying, unless you decide for yourself, I know you're ambitious and you want to win a lot of things, but unless you decide for yourself that when you buy a player in South Africa, that player is going to be top five in their in their position, right? Or you decide that player has got to be an automatic shoe in for that particular position if they are being taken out by overseas based players because they get paid more but that player locally must be number one player who's going to go in as a midfielder if you decide this is how i'm going to hire my players who play in this particular team unfortunately we have run out of time but we certainly got the gist of your your, your value proposition um around the value of the organizational culture unfortunately we're gonna deliver to you and thank you very very much thank once you. again for gracing the show we have certainly benefited from your wisdom and insight on very complex issues. Thank you, Nimbra. Thanks to your listeners as well. Cheers. You're most welcome. That was Ellen Mukoki, who is an executive at the Sarafung Chamber of Commerce and Industry, giving us depth and substance around a very complex issues which were, were reflected in the Sarafung Investment Conference, which took place last week. We have run out of time. We need to approach uh, some of these issues more with a view to provide solution. Uh, however, we have run out of time. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is a time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.